Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, my brother, uh, Mr. Josh Sullivan. Can you move this up? I won't be muting this. Is that okay? Is my mic okay? Hello? Yeah. Mic test one, two, yeah. Okay. <laughs> How's everybody doing? You guys awake? Yeah. Yeah, do you guys need a stretch or a get up or whatever? You guys okay? Um, I really appreciate your guys' message, man. You guys are on fire, man. Um, the last one I really resonated with, with the whole healing deal, and you guys know why. You guys visited my website. You guys just look at my hand. So I was born this way. And so for my whole life, when you go up to a Pentecostal church, we always preach that God heals. And then when you go to a church your whole life saying God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, God heals, and then you don't get healed, how does that make me feel? So the interesting thing is, is that when I was 17 years old, I went to this miracle crusade, and then I was crying out to God to heal me. And then two days in a row, I did that, and I didn't get healed. And then for eight years after that, I didn't pray for healing anymore. Because um, I was just like, I don't know if this self is real. So I became skeptical and I got into something called like an intellectual kind of Christianity, asking a lot of questions. I uh, started criticizing a lot of different Christians who didn't agree with me. <laughs> I thought I knew everything, right? <clears throat> and, and then eventually after eight years, I had these experiences where I started getting back into healing. And I was also diagnosed with this one condition called GERDS, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease. It's a problem with my throat. And I uh, couldn't eat a bunch of stuff, totally healed. And then I was also uh, had a condition because I'm a, I'm a b-boy. Any b-boys here? Okay, break dancers? No? Okay, it's New York, man. <laughs> right? You guys created it. So anyways, <clears throat> I did b-boying since I was, what, 12 years old. I had a back injury. I was battling some guy, and I had something called a herniated disc. For those of you who don't know what that is, I didn't even know what it was. Uh, the, the discs in my spine in between each vertebrae were crushed. And so I literally, I would walk like an old man. And just like, it hurts like crazy. And I would cry myself to sleep thinking, will I ever be able to walk normally again? And look at me now. <laughs> okay, right? <laughs> and so here I am, totally healed of those things, doing healing ministry, still with my hand like this. Whatever, I'm still seeing God move. Amen. You know, and God is a good God. And uh, through all of these experiences that I had growing up in the church was this undergirding of religion that I was raised yeah. in. And that's the topic that <clears throat> Robert or Joe, I didn't know you guys call him Joe. Uh, that's the topic that Robert gave to me to share today. And uh, I'm just going to be very upfront with you guys. And if you guys watch my videos, I'm very blunt. Okay. How many of you guys like honest speakers? Right? No one wants a fake preacher up here. So I'm going to be as transparent as I can. You've seen my videos. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expose myself. Okay. Because I want you guys to be able to see that I'm human just like you. Right, and I have my own issues that I do it that I have, and I'm just speaking up here. But just to be upfront, you know, <clears throat> my whole life since I was growing up, I really did my best to try to become a good Christian because I was raised in a church. And I tried really, really hard to love God. Really hard. I put all these rules that I had to follow, you know, read my Bible and try to follow these principles that I was taught from the church. And then I did my best to avoid sin, right? Try telling that to a teenager to not do a bunch of stuff, right? It's hard, man. And so I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to do my best to become a good Christian. And I failed a lot. And I came to this conclusion. I gave up trying to become a good Christian. Now let me explain. 
you know, for, for a lot of us, we've probably been to these, what are called evangelistic crusades, right? Where you hear a preacher go up there, he talks about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. You hear this message about God's unconditional love and His grace, and you're hearing this message about, you know, like you could have this intimate and personal relationship with God. And then you're, you're at these events to try to get saved, so to speak, right? And to give Jesus Christ your life so He could be your personal Lord and Savior. I'm using Christian terminology, right? Then after this day, supposedly you have this conversion, I mean, at this event. It's crazy because many people's lives after these evangelistic crusades, our lives are never the same. Some are for the better, but here's what's so ironic. For a lot of people, their lives even get worse. Now, I was a pastor a couple years ago. You can still call me a pastor, whatever. You know, I had a church and everything. I had a lot of people open up to me about all their struggles. And a lot of people would just say, you know, Josh, I would go to these evangelistic crusades and hear this message of God's love. I was so drawn to this message of love. But then throughout the years, over time, and without warning, this relationship, quote-unquote, that I had with God was no longer a relationship. And it became all about rules. It became all about morality. And it became all about not sinning. In other words, it was just behavior modification. Now, isn't it interesting? Now, I don't know about you. I'm not trying to judge anybody. This is just an impression that I have and a lot of people have. Isn't it interesting that a lot of Christians are known for what they don't do rather than what they do? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, example, Christians, you don't cuss, you don't smoke, you don't drink. But if you do drink, you don't get crazy drunk, right? And you definitely don't listen to Lady Gaga, right? You know what I'm saying? So there's all these things that you don't do. Now, of course, not all Christians are like that. But that's the impression that a lot of people have of the church. Now, for my own life, folks, I felt like I had to keep tabs on everything that I did with me and God. Like every time I did something good, another crown in heaven. You know what I'm saying? You lead someone to Christ, another crown in heaven. Now, when you do something bad, here's what I was told by the church. If you screw up, sorry, I'm just talking like myself, okay? If I mess up, if I quote-unquote sin, God's hand is going to be removed from me, that God's going to punish me, that I will hear God's voice, that God's not going to hear my prayers, that God's going to be very angry at me, that I should be very scared. And it's so crazy because God is this God of love, but then God was scary, man, when I mess up, because that's what I was taught. But is that really the good news of the gospel? And that's the whole deal. I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, and I remember, you know, I took a nap. And sometimes when you take a nap during the day, I forget what time it is. It feels weird. I remember I woke up one t- time when I was a kid and uh, I went to my parents' room. It was empty, right? And then I went to my sister's room. They both shared a room at the time. It was totally empty, right? Then I checked the entire house. It was completely empty. And then it hit me and I realized that I thought the rapture happened. <laughs> and I thought that I was left behind. Now imagine this, folks, as a kid as a kid to have all this fear and all this sadness swallow me up inside thinking oh my gosh i wasn't good enough for god and i was crying and eventually of course my parents came home my sisters came home thank god it wasn't the end of the world right you know so all of these things folks those but that's the question what if it was the end of the world that all this fear that i was taught as a child what if it was would i be good enough for god to accept me as his own. And that's why for so long, even though I'd had many good times, I lived with a lot of guilt and condemnation 
folks. Really. And I wouldn't tell people, but you know, you try to be a good Christian, you put these high standards upon yourself, and then when you fail, your guilt multiplies. Because you're trying to be this super Christian. You know what I'm saying? And it's thinking hard. When you put these rules, that probably God doesn't even do that to you. But you put it on yourself because you're trying to impress God as if you can impress God with your works. I'm telling you, God is already impressed with you because you're His child. You see what I'm saying? And that's, this is the whole idea that I want people to see what religion can do. That there are times when I would mess up and then when I would do that, I would fall and I would tell God, okay, God, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do much better. You know what I'm saying? And then when I get up and I try to do better for a little while, then I end up failing again, then guess what? I end up even worse than before. And I would still keep it a secret from my Christian friends because I didn't want them to look down upon me. Especially I could be a leader at times. You know what I'm saying? So what would I do? I would still go to church on Sundays. I would still attend youth services. And because I was already a Christian, I rededicated my life over and over and over and over and over again. And I would go to every single altar call because I was feeling so bad that I wasn't living up to quote-unquote God's standards. And then when I hit my 20s, I'm not, 20s, I'm not in my 20s anymore. I know I still look like it. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I got heavily involved in the charismatic revival movement. Heavily involved. These were like huge gatherings, thousands of people, all this energy and hyping up. And, you know, I'd be crying out to God for more of his spirit, more of his power for him to touch me so I could be able to impact the nations. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we would be uh, contending. We would be digging the wells. We would be praying for breakthrough. You guys familiar with that? That language, right? Now, I'm not saying it's bad to get breakthrough, but, but in other words, I was working so stinking hard for God to do stuff for me. As if everything that God wanted from you, everything was conditional based upon me and not because he was just a good God. And so all these steps that I would do to try to impress God and get God to do healing or to change a city or whatever, eventually there was a price to pay. And I eventually got burnt out. And I was starting to realize that it'll never be good enough. That I could never live up to all these standards. That there was so much that I thought I had to do. And it was just never enough. And folks, this is what religion has done to me. And let me qualify that. This is what false religion has done for, to me and to millions of people all around the world. Where, we're, where our relationship with God was rooted in fear. Yeah, we could come to church where we all look all happy. Hey, what's up, brother? What's up, sister? You know what I'm saying? But in your mind, you're, you're so sin conscious of having tried to try to impress God and get brownie points. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing. It was so much rooted in fear. But here's the question. How can you truly love someone of whom you are afraid of? So if, you're, if your relationship with God is rooted in fear, then I question whether or not you really know his heart. Because I know that with true love, there's no fear. In fact, it'll cast it out. You know what I'm saying? So where was grace all these years in my life, even up until my 20s? Where was it? Here's the thing. I believe grace was always there. Love was always there. But you know what? Religion polluted it. It distorted God's heart, making it seem like I always had to get his approval without realizing that I'm already approved because of who he is. And those were the things that were going on in my mind. Recognize, because I would preach grace from the pulpit. I would even claim that I believed in it, because I read it in the Bible. But the question is, did I understand grace? So here's uh, the million-dollar question. 
Why do you do what you do? Or to be even more specific, why do you do good? Let me give you an example. I love my beautiful wife over there, right? Now imagine this, ladies specifically. Imagine I go up to my wife and I tell my wife that I love her. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, Josh, you're so sweet. Do you mean that? And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> it's just something that I'm supposed to say. I have to because you're my wife and I'm your husband. It's something that I'm supposed to do. Ladies, is that love? What if I even said, well, the Bible says I should love my wife? Huh. And this is where we have to get rid of the religiosity, folks. Now, let me give you another scenario. If I go up to my wife again, and then I look into her eyes, and I tell her, you know, sweetheart, I love you, and I give her a bunch of roses, and she says, Josh, did you mean it? Every word. It's from my heart, because I wanted to. Folks, there's a big difference between the two. A big difference between the two. When you experience religion, life becomes a bunch of do's and don'ts, and you have to. You're supposed to. You're supposed to serve God. You're supposed to share your faith. You're supposed all these things. But when you, when you experience love, you want to. Not only that, you get to. There's a big difference, man. You know what I'm saying? And that's the whole thing. You can get two people to do the exact same action or say the exact same words and what will change it would be your motivation. Is your motivation rooted in fear? Or is it rooted in guilt? Or is it rooted in religious obligation? You're just supposed to. Or is it rooted in love? And this is what it all comes down to, this whole message of the good news. The Bible says in 1 John that we love because... He first loved us. Love is not something that you stink and just conjure up out of thin air. Let me try to love my neighbor. Man, sometimes they, they get you upset. You can't love them right away. You know what I'm saying? You want them to suffer. You know what I'm saying? Or just be honest. It's just me then. <laughs> and this is what happens, man. When, when you understand that word because, you don't just conjure it up out of thin air. It's something that you experience first. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that no one, certain people don't have love. Everybody is love, but not everybody is aware. I can unconditionally love my wife, but just because if she doesn't believe it, it doesn't change the fact that I can unconditionally love my wife. The fact that she doesn't believe it doesn't negate the fact that I still love her. It doesn't negate the fact that I still accept her. Now the issue is, is God the same with you? That even if you don't love Him, even if you don't accept Him, does He still love you unconditionally? I'm pretty sure He does. But religion will tell you, no, you have to do all these conditions first and then you're accepted by God. I'm telling you, true love is when love is so unconditional, that's what changes the human heart. That's the only way it can be real. man. And here we have this story of this woman in John chapter 8. This is a passage that they wanted me to share. John chapter 8, where this woman was caught in adultery. You guys familiar with this story? Now here's what happens. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they bring this lady to Jesus in order to trap Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He goes down on the ground and starts writing on the floor, whatever. People will make up a bunch of stuff of what he wrote. I don't know. And then he says, okay, which one of you without sin, you guys go throw the first stone? And then what happened? One by one, they all went away. And the only ones who were left were Jesus and this woman. So what did Jesus say to this woman? Woman, who condemns you? She says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
Now, this is crazy because that could look like she got off the hook. You know why? Because from what I see a lot in the church, a lot of, imagine if someone makes a mistake today, a sin, whatever it might be. Imagine someone commits a sin. What's the first reaction of a lot of Christians? They'll say, take that person off of leadership. You know, that's like the first reaction. Or they will be ostracized. Stay away from them. They're bad, right? Or, or the, in, uh, they'll even be marked for life from a lot of other people. Oh, you know, they're the ones that did blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? And here's what we have to consider, folks, when people make mistakes and they fail. Do we care more about correcting the person and condemning them? Or do we care about the person? Do we realize that not only does a person suffer, but possibly even their family suffers? And like I said, they could even have that reputation for, quote-unquote, the sins that they committed. Right? So here's Jesus telling this lady, go and sin no more, I don't condemn you. Because there was something that he believed, that there's something in the power of forgiveness that is much more powerful than condemning a person. Because isn't it, for us, isn't it interesting? What do we be like, dude, there should just be at least a little bit of guilt. You know, just come on, just, you know, if someone messed up today, in the church today, don't, isn't that many times we just want to condemn them just a little bit? Like, how dare you do that? Now, I'm not saying you should never call things out, right? But we're so focused on condemning and giving people guilt trips instead of understanding their heart of why they did that and giving them grace. And don't get me wrong, I'm not condoning sin and saying, do whatever you want. But the reality is, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> but here's the thing. There's going to be consequences. <clears throat> sin in and of itself is a consequence because many times we sin, it's the way that we deal with our pain. And sin, is, it's very irrational. You try to justify it in the beginning, and then when you do it, it backfires. <laughs> You're like, why the heck did I do this? <laughs> it's so stupid. You know what I'm saying? And so that's the thing with Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus' response was so radical. Because instead of condemning the woman, he forgave the woman in order for her to be restored. Now, did she go off to go back and have the affair with the other man? Who knows? But she'll mess up her own life if she did. Like I said, sin is a consequence in and of itself. But God is a God who gives you chances. And he, the reason why sin is not good is because it hurts you. It hurts other people. Not because it offends God. God's not insecure. Does he just say, oh, you messed up. Oh, stay away from me, my child. I can't even look at you. God, God doesn't have a weak stomach, man. I'm telling you, when, when you mess up, God looks straight into your heart. And says, you don't have to do that. And that's the whole, this is the message, folks, that if you could genuinely, consciously, if you could consciously, genuinely experience love, and learn to respect yourself. Then you will learn to love and to respect other people. That's how it is, folks. You don't have to try to love God, folks. Focus on God's unconditional love for you. I bet you you'll love God. But the church has turned it around. Serve, 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 serve. Love God, love God, love God. I'm telling you, you're going to get stinking tired. But when you focus on God's love for you, it changes everything. It changes everything. You know, I've only been married for a couple of years. I love my wife so much, but there are times, man, we get into these stupid arguments. Like, they're so unnecessary, you know? And there are times where, like, I remember we would get in these arguments, and even though I wouldn't yell at times, like, my blood would boil. <laughs> I, just, I want to yell, you know? 
And then there, I would hear these voices in my head saying that there's, there's these flaws that I could try to point out in my wife because, you know, you just want to make them feel bad because you're just angry in that situation. And I would hear this, this voice say, don't say it, don't say it. You're going to hurt your wife. You're going to hurt your wife. And then me being the perfect husband, I say it. <laughs> and then it hurts her. And then it hurts me. And I look back at those moments of when I would point out the crap in my wife, the flaws, whatever you want to call it. And I look back at those moments when I would, quote unquote, I could condemn her in a sense and point out some stuff. And I think back on how she could have brought up my own crap and could have condemned me. But let me tell you how my wife responds. This is crazy, it's true. In grace, when I'm getting all emotional at times with my wife, my wife would just gently grab my hand. And then in grace, she would look me in the eyes. She wouldn't say a word, doesn't say anything. Then in grace, she would look straight into my heart, past my brokenness. Because sometimes when we hurt other people, we project what we're experiencing onto other people, our insecurities. And so that's what would happen. My wife would look at all the pain and look straight into my heart. And she would still choose to love me, no matter what, and not bring up anything. Now, there are times, like I said, where we think you'd have to bring it up. I already know what I just did. It was stupid. <laughs> I don't need my wife to kick me down when I'm still down. And that's what love does. This is what's so crazy because when she re responds like that in grace, it empowers me to put my guard down. When she responds in grace, it empowers me to become more thankful for such a good wife who knows my stuff but still doesn't use it against me. And then when she responds in grace, it empowers me to love my wife even more. Yeah. Folks, that's what love does. Not religion, not legalism, none of that stuff. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. <laughs> Only love can do that. And this is why Jesus' way is so much better, right? That he shows us the power of forgiveness. And maybe some of us this afternoon have done a lot of stupid crap that, that we regret. And maybe other people may not condemn you, but you might even condemn yourself. And I'm here to tell you today, God does not condemn you. Zero. What God is concerned about is your heart. What he's concerned about is your restoration. Don't focus on trying to please God and do plan B by doing a bunch of good works in order to replace your bad deeds. God's not impressed with that. What he's impressed with is just your heart. That will you come sincerely and honestly before God, just knowing that you're unconditionally loved. And I'm telling you folks, if you could just settle that in your heart, it's hard for people because it's so easy for someone to say, God loves me unconditionally. But our mindset's so different when we step out of these doors. God loves you unconditionally, no matter what. You are unconditionally loved and accepted by God. You belong to God now, even before you do anything. And that's the goodness of God that transforms and changes the human heart that religion can't do. Like I said, religion will only get you to change so you, because you have to out of fear. But love will change your heart and you will respond in love because you want to. So guys, thank you so much. I kept it short, right? Amen. Thank you, guys. <laughs> what was that, like five minutes? <laughs>